following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. God's way versus man's way. God's way versus man's way. Almighty God, would you make your ways plain to us? 
Lord, we've been so full of man's way. Would you teach us your way? Today we've gathered in your presence to let your name be lifted up. Yes, Lord. To let our name be cast down. Yes, Lord. And our ways cast down. Lord, speak with us clearly today. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear and hearts that are settled on your way, O God. I pray in your name. Amen. In Isaiah, the 22nd chapter, there is a very clear description of man's way versus God's way. In the day of Isaiah, most of the homes in Israel were built around a courtyard. The windows that were outside were covered with a lattice so that it would be very difficult to see out of the house. So when people wanted to know what was happening, they all took the stairs to the roof. And the roof was the place where they would eat, sleep, have social gatherings. Always there was a a railing around to make the roof safe. The Lord begins in chapter 22 with a description as Isaiah speaks and says, What troubles you now? You have all gone up on the roofs. O town full of commotion, O city of tumult and revelry. Your slain were not killed by the sword, nor did they die in battle. All your leaders have fled together. They've been captured without using the bow. All you who have been caught were taken prisoner together, having fled while the enemy was still far away. What he's describing is a national time of catastrophic destruction that's about to come on the nation. Now, some commentators believe that this had reference to the coming of the Babylonians. Others believe it had to do with the Assyrians coming during the time of Hezekiah. Regardless of the time frame that this prophecy should describe, it's clear that Isaiah is saying, when trouble comes and everything is very difficult and uncertain, people want to rush to the rooftops and they want to see what's happening. Today we want to rush to the television or to the internet. We want the radio on. We want to know what's going on in town. Isaiah is saying, already your leaders have fled. They've already run. There's no protection for you. You're in trouble. And God's way begins at verse 4. Therefore I said, turn away from me, let me weep bitterly. Do not try to console me over the destruction of my people. So we have now two very clear examples of man's way and God's way. Man's way says, I want more information. I want to know what's going on. 
I want to gather every bit of information I can gather. I want to be able to talk with people about this. I'm abuzz with what's going on. What am I going to do? I'm worried. I'm concerned. Things aren't looking very good here. What am I going to do? God's way is to go into the prayer closet and say, look, everybody, turn away from me. I don't want to talk to you. I've got to talk to God. I've got to get to God. And weep bitterly over the destruction that's coming. God cannot resist the tears of a man or woman of God who cries out for his heart's desire. God cannot turn aside from a man or woman who's willing to go in and get right with God. Verse 5, the Lord, the Lord Almighty has a day of tumult and trampling and terror in the valley of vision. The day of battering down walls and of crying out to the mountains. Somehow we in America have thought that we were immune to what the rest of the world has experienced time after time after time as God has judged their nation and the armies have swept through and destruction has come and they've lost their homes and they've been refugees. We've looked at the stories of what's happening in the Sudan or in other parts of the world and they've seemed far off as though that could never happen in America. We watched Europe utterly destroyed during the Second World War. We watched Germany pummeled during the Second World War. Whole blocks were totally obliterated by the bombs that fell. We in America have never experienced that kind of destruction. The most destruction we've experienced was when we fought ourselves in the Civil War. And there's no doubt the Civil War came upon America as a judgment from God. We have lost that immunity in America. God's judgment is now coming on America. (laughs) And we are going to see things in America that we never thought possible. And now the question will be, what will God's people do? Will they be busy buzzing around here and there seeking more and more information and trying to say, what are we going to do with all of this? Or are they going to go into the prayer closet and isolate themselves before the Lord and say, turn away from me, world. I want nothing to do with you. I want to be hid in Jesus Christ. He is my answer. Now in verses 7 and 8, Isaiah gives us reality. Your choicest valleys are full of chariots. Horsemen are posted at the city gates. The defenses of Judah are stripped away. That's in reality what's happening as Hezekiah is facing the Assyrian army. The defenses are inadequate. They cannot withstand these thousands of warriors that are pouring into their nation and camping all about them, they are facing utter destruction. What is the reality today? 
I quote Market Watch on 3.1309. Global trade flows are plunging. The U.S. Commerce Department reports that in January of this year, imports fell 4.6% and exports fell 8.6%. That doesn't sound too bad until you understand what that represents. Over the past five months, the Commerce Department says that imports have dropped by 30%, that exports by 49%. You understand almost everything that happens financially in America has happened because of American consumers, not because we've been producing something. It's been because we've been consuming And the consumption that America has been doing has been based on inflated prices in the housing market as people have drawn money out of their houses and said, look how much money I have. I can buy this. I can go here. I can do this. And it was false money. It was cheap money. And so the imports are plunging and the exports are plunging And over 20 million workers in China have been put out of work. Factories are closing up. Men and women are being shipped out of the cities back to the farmlands. The problem is when they get to their farmlands, factories were built on them. They can't farm them. They're beginning to riot. All kinds of social disturbances are happening in China even today as we're in this house. The expectation is that house prices over the next 12 months could fall between 40 and 55% from where they currently are. They've already dropped in some places 40%. Homes in my neighborhood that were selling two years ago for $700,000 are now selling for $399. Now they're saying those houses could drop another 40 to 55% in the next 12 months. General Motors this last week hired bankruptcy attorneys. And it looks like this coming week, General Motors will go bankrupt. If General Motors goes bankrupt this next week, we'll see the stock market plunge. Some are saying even to 4,000 points. Do you understand what I'm describing here is a destruction of wealth? It's being reported that between 40 and 45% of the entire world's wealth has been destroyed in the last 12 to 16 months. It's gone. It's evaporated. Now, what does that mean? It means IRAs. It means 401ks. It means pension funds. They're all disappearing. 
The U.S. government has to date allocated $10.3 trillion to stop the banking crisis. So far, they've spent $2.6 trillion. They're saying that unemployment could go as high as 30%. Okay, let me be very specific about what I suspect this means. I believe it means that pension funds, that private and public pension funds will all be lost, that annuities will be lost, that banks will close, that insurance companies will go bankrupt, that all of the large banks, Citibank, Wachovia, all of these banks will go bankrupt. They're already insolvent. They'll either go bankrupt or be nationalized by the federal government. Some are predicting that we will see a 66% cut in federal spending. The budget will have to be cut that much. That means an end of all Social Security payments, all Medicare payments, and all Medicaid payments. It means an utter end to all retirement plans, as those will be confiscated and rolled into the Treasury bills that are owed to China. And that obviously leads us to the condition of hyperinflation, where a loaf of bread, instead of costing $3, costs $100. Now, if these reports, and these are not isolated reports that I've shared with you, these are throughout the news media. If these reports are true, then everything that we've known as Americans is about to radically change. We went out to the farm yesterday and picked up eggs. We came back home with six dozen of eggs. And immediately, Jan said to me, who do we need to give eggs to tonight? And I began going to neighbors' doors and knocking on their doors and saying, hey, we went to the farm today. We thought you might like these fresh eggs. And we passed out eggs last night. Well, these dear people, they look at me like, pastor. They know I'm a pastor. Pastor, why are you giving us eggs? Oh, we thought you just might enjoy them. You see, I come from a time and a place in Western America where when I was a kid, what you did to be neighborly was to take food over to the neighbors. That's what we used to do. We always had an extra place set at the table so that if a neighbor dropped by as we were eating, we would say, come on in, have a seat. It meant adding water to the soup, perhaps. Whatever it meant, we did because... We offered the hospitality of a meal with our neighbor. That's how we lived. I never went home as, a, as an adult. I never went home to my mom and dad's house without when I was leaving, dad would come out with boxes of canned food and, and put them in my car. And I'd say, dad, you think there's no food in Washington? 
<laughs> He'd say, now go on. You know, you know you like that raspberry jam. Thank you, Dad. Yes, I loved your raspberry jam. He grew his raspberries. He picked them. Mom cooked them and made them into jam. They were wonderful. That was his heart. We've gotten away from this in America. Each is self-sufficient. Each is to himself. And each grabs and growls for what they want. I went to the neighbors last night passing out eggs because I know soon they're going to need those eggs. Elkhart, Indiana, this last week, caravan of Christian trucks pulled in. 5,000 families received five days of food. 5,000 people lined up to pick up food. 18% unemployment right now in Elkhart, Indiana. They showed pictures of people coming. One dear woman, she was driving a nice car. She was well-dressed. She had children in the car. Tears were flowing down her face. The interviewer said, How do you feel about coming to get the food? She said, I'm ashamed, but I'm so grateful because we're hungry. This is the picture we're going to see soon, even this year in America. Not just in Elkhart, Indiana, but across this nation. And I'm telling you, when people lose everything, they lose it. We're going to see rioting in America. We're going to see looting and burning. We're going to see every horrible thing happening in this nation that we thought was so powerful and so rich. That's the reality. Now, man's way for dealing with this begins in the last part of verse 8 to verse 11. And you looked in that day to the weapons in the palace of the forest. You saw that the city of David had many breaches in its defense. You stored up water in the lower pool. By the way, that was the Gion Springs. Hezekiah built an underground passageway all the way to the Gion Spring so that they could bring fresh water into Jerusalem as the Assyrians came down against them. They tore down, listen, you counted the buildings in Jerusalem and you tore down houses to strengthen the wall. You build a reservoir between the two walls for the water of the old pool. But you did not look to the one who made it or have regard for the one who planned it long ago. Everything that's happening in America was planned by God. How many times we've said, oh, I want Jesus to come. Well, Jesus is coming. And as he comes, this is what comes before him. Judgment comes before him. And we've been praying at the National Prayer Chapel year after year, faithfully pressing God, saying, oh, God, send judgment unto repentance before judgment unto damnation comes. Oh, I pray this judgment that's coming on America will be unto repentance. 
I pray that God's people will turn away from the world and everything that's attracting their eye in the world and will get alone with God and get right with Him. There's a standard of righteousness that has to be lifted up. It's Jesus Himself. Jesus is righteousness. He must be lifted up over this nation as never before. And it's not going to happen if God's people continue to play with the world. We have to separate from the world and pull back. Yes, it's all right if we prepare. You can put some extra water in your garage. You can put away 30 days of food. Pastor Wilkerson sent out the warning, put 30 days of food in your house. Hard times are coming. It's okay to do that and to prepare. But oh, I tell you, if in that preparation we have not sought God, all the preparation will be for nothing. It will be stolen. We'll lose it. In Hezekiah's day, He finally recognized that there was nothing he could do against these armies of Assyria. He recognized that he could build up his city walls. He could get his spring made so it flowed into the city from the Gion Springs. He could do all of the work of setting up his armor. He could guard the city walls. But when it came right down to it, there was nothing he could do to protect himself. Either the Lord God of heaven stepped in and protected him or all was lost and Jerusalem would be taken. So what did he do? He sent men to the prophet Isaiah. Said, this is a day of such desperation. What are we going to do? Finally, he takes the letter from the envoys of Assyria, and he lays it before God, and he weeps before God. And he said, oh, your name is being dishonored, mighty God. And the Lord then slew 180,000 Assyrians. They packed up and went home, leaving behind all the dead bodies. And Jerusalem was delivered. The deliverance that we're going to have to look for is not going to be in the storage of water and food. The deliverance we've got to look for is not in the storage of gold or silver. The the storage of things will be helpful as God directs us. But that's not where our salvation lies. Our salvation lies in our Savior Jesus Do you have a relationship with Jesus that allows you now to go into his presence and share with him your need and have him answer that need? Or do you go into the prayer closet and hope God will show up? As we enter into this, we cannot go in hoping God will show up. It's hard to hope when your stomach is empty. And God doesn't show up and we say, well, I better do something to take care of myself now because God's not showing up. How many times have we done that in our lives? 
We've prayed, oh God, what do we do about this car situation? You know we have to have it. God doesn't answer, so let's go to Pharaoh and borrow something. Let's go down to Egypt and pick up some some loans so we can pay for our cars. We've gotten sick and we've said, oh God, help me. And God didn't show up soon enough, so we went on down and used our health insurance. What about when the health insurance is gone? And what about when the loans aren't available? Now can you reach God? We're coming into a place where we can't ask God and then go take care of it ourselves. We're coming into a place where if God doesn't answer us, all is lost. Do you remember the five wise and the five foolish virgins? The five foolish virgins brought no extra oil. Their lamps went out. They were blocked and could not enter into the wedding feast. But the five wise brought an extra cruise of oil. (coughs) Today, are you one of the five wise or one of the five foolish? Have you spent everything you have on the world? Have you depended on the world? Has the world been your source or has Jesus Christ been the rock from which flows the water of life that has cared for you, that has carried you when everything else was gone? Do you know Jesus will carry you? God's way. Again, verse 12. The Lord The Lord Almighty called you on that day to weep and to wail, to tear out your hair and put on sackcloth. The call of God right now for his people is to be in the prayer closet, crying, weeping before God, asking for his mercy for America, asking for the salvation of the lost, repenting of our sins, getting right with God, not letting anything stand between our heart and God's heart. Today, if there's anything that stands between you and God, get rid of it. Cut it off. Drop it. We're at a place where we must search after Jesus with all of our hearts. There can be no compromise here. Our only salvation is going to be in Jesus. Our our salvation is no longer in our jobs or in our retirement or in our stuff. It's Jesus. Man's way. Verse 13. But see, there is joy and revelry slaughtering of cattle, killing of sheep, eating of meat and drinking of wine. Let us eat and drink, you say, for tomorrow we die. So man's way is to say, look, I can't face what's coming on the nation. 
It's too troubling to my heart. Let's have a party. Let's go have some fun while the money's still here. Let's be silly and foolish. That's man's way. And the Lord Almighty, in verse 14, said this, Till your dying day, this sin will not be atoned for, says the Lord, the Lord Almighty. You see, the final test that God always brings to his people, because of the wickedness of the nation, is to finally bring destruction on that nation. When a nation kills its babies, when a nation bombs its neighbors, when a nation participates in every wicked thing, setting up the whole homosexual wickedness, corrupting our children, when a nation utterly turns its back on the Almighty God, and removes every trace of God from the public square. When a nation arrogantly goes about and says, we are the chosen, and demands that the world bow down before their empire, finally God steps in. And when God steps in, judgment comes. That's always been God's way. But always when God brings judgment, he's looking for those men and women, those boys and girls, who will hide themselves away in the prayer closet. And like Moses will plead with God for mercy over the nation who will lay before God and even be willing to give up their lives if God would just have mercy and compassion and save the nation. So it's not for us to stand scornfully in opposition to this nation. It's not for us to judge America. It's for us to pray for America, to intercede for America to in every possible way pour out the love of Christ to this nation. Now there was an intrigue that was going on in all of this. Shebna was not of Jewish descent. He was of foreign descent. And Shebna was going behind King Hezekiah's back. And he was trying to make an arrangement with the Egyptians. He thought that that was the place of salvation for Israel. And so God speaks about Shebna, the steward, in verse 15. This is what the Lord the Almighty says. Go say to this steward, to Shebna, who is in charge of the palace. You understand, he had the golden key that he wore on his shoulder. He was the one who was in charge of the storehouses. He was in charge of the money, the cash flow. 
He was the secretary treasurer of the, of the kingdom. And he says to Shebna in verse 16, what are you doing here? Who gave you permission to cut out a grave for yourself here, hewing your grave on the height? In other words, he's a foreigner, and he's trying now to establish his place on the height where the kings were buried, where the respected national figures were buried. He's saying, I'll be one of them too, and I'll make myself a burial place of honor. Beware, the Lord is about to take firm hold of you and hurl you away, O you mighty man. He will roll you up tightly like a ball and throw you into a large country, and there you will die. In other words, he considers the the Jewish faith to be restrictive. He fights against the covenant. He wants a more expansive place like Egypt. He's been working underground to try to turn the people of Israel against God. Oh, today, among God's people, this is true of many churches and many pastors. They're Shebnas. They've been trying to carve out for themselves a place of honor in some high place. They've been trying to somehow go back to Egypt and bring the world into the church. They've turned the church into an entrepreneurial enterprise, a money-making operation, a place of entertainment, a place where the name of Jesus is not lifted up, but a place where they're honored. He says of these Shebnas, he's going to roll you up tightly like a ball and throw you into a large country, and there you will die and there your splendid chariots will remain, you disgrace to your master's household. I will depose you from your office, and you will be ousted from your position. We're coming to a time in America when God is going to judge his house, and the Shebnas are going to be cast down. That day I will summon my servant, Elkanah son of Hilkah. I will clothe him with your robe and fasten your sash around him and hand your authority over to him. He will be a father to those who live in Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I'm praying now that God will begin to do this in the American church that God will begin to bring forth out of obscurity men and women who are honest and faithful to God, and they will begin to lead a new movement of God's people who will seek righteousness and godliness, who will seek Jesus, and he alone will rule. A leadership in the American church that will not be self-centered or interested in their own promotion but will be interested in lifting up Jesus. That God will prepare, I've been crying to him to prepare all around the beltway, churches where the fire of God could burn brightly and where righteousness could be lifted up. Places where God's people would find safe haven and refuge 
where the word of God is proclaimed faithfully, not with worldly music, self-promotion, entertainment. I believe God is doing that right now. But I want to show you something. As strong as a pastor may be, a godly pastor, a pastor who serves God with all of his heart, who seeks after the Lord, I want to show you verse 25. In that day, declares the Lord Almighty, the peg driven into the firm place will give way. It will be sheared off and will fall. And the load hanging on it will be cut down. The Lord has spoken. Oh, that used to trouble me. Say, Lord, how can, how can this be? And then I received the revelation. Galatians, the second chapter, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Christ has to be what all of us put our whole weight upon. You can't put your weight on Pastor David Wilkerson or any other pastor. Because every godly pastor will someday be cut down. I too will be cut down. Jesus Christ will never be cut down. And we have to be going now through a process of coming into the house of God where we hear those sharp reproofs, where we hear a clear direction. But that sharp reproof and that clear direction, if it's honest and true and faithful, must lead us to the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the cross alone that we must be brought to. It's Jesus who will not be cut down. Jesus is the risen Lord. He's the almighty king of heaven and earth. He is to receive all glory and honor and praise. Don't put your trust in any man or any woman. Even the finest among us will be cut down. But Jesus will not be cut down. You notice it says that this godly man was carrying a heavy load. Everything was hanging on him. The responsibilities were heavy on him. He couldn't bear the burden forever. Jesus Christ will never be overburdened with his people. Jesus will not be overburdened with your sin. The blood of Jesus Christ washes it all away. There is a fountain open that all may be plunged into. It's large enough for everyone to be plunged into. 
and that blood breaks every bondage of sin and sets God's people free that we can live righteous and holy before him, not just in word, but in deed and in action. So even that wonderful, godly man, Paul the Apostle, said, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Today, if anything but Jesus Christ lives in you, you need to get in the prayer closet and repent. We're facing a time of such tribulation, such trial, such catastrophic loss. Only Jesus can save us. I have to honestly tell you I'm terrified by what's coming. But my heart rejoices. My heart rejoices because I know Jesus will carry me through. I know Jesus is enough. No matter what the sorrow of our heart, no matter what the trauma of the finances, I trust Jesus to make a way where there is no way. I trust Jesus to carry us through. Now, if you believe that, we're going to have to walk in God's way. And God's way right now is to be in his presence, to weep for America, and to plead for revival, to plead for the gift of repentance for this nation. Almighty God, my eyes are on you. My hope is in you. All that I have and all that I am belongs to you, Jesus Christ. Would you cause each of us to bear the testimony that I have been crucified with Christ? (laughs) That I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Thank you, mighty God. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stand, I am tired, I am weak, I 
Precious Lord, and lead me
Yeah. 